AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 68 of AFF On Air, the podcast that helps you to maximise your frequent flyer points. It's Saturday the 4th of September 2021. Last week Qantas revealed its new plan to restart international flights to seven countries from the 18th of December this year, which is just over three months away. But how realistic is this plan? And could we see international travel opening up for people in New South Wales and Victoria before the other states agree to do the same? In the meantime, the arrival caps into Australia have just been reduced yet again, meaning that until at least the end of October, only 2,300 passengers a week are now allowed to arrive into Australia on commercial flights. So what does this mean for Australians trying to come home now? Well, later in the episode, I'll chat to Alan Lamb from Netwave Travel about this. Also coming up, highlights from the Qantas financial results announced last week and how to make sure your frequent flyer points don't expire during the pandemic. But first, let's begin with a roundup of other airline and frequent flyer news from the past fortnight. And firstly, both Qantas and Virgin Australia have launched new promotions to reward their frequent flyers for getting vaccinated against COVID-19. Qantas is giving all Australian adults the option of 1,000 Qantas points, 15 status credits, or a $20 Qantas flight discount or Jetstar voucher when they upload proof of vaccination into the Qantas app. Everyone who participates in the Qantas promo will also go in the draw to win a major prize of a year's worth of Qantas flights, accommodation and fuel, with one major prize winner to be announced in each state and territory. Meanwhile, Virgin Australia is giving Velocity members the chance to win one of 251 prizes, which include things like Velocity points, free flights, and leftover Virgin Australia pyjamas. Entries into both competitions close on the 31st of December this year, and you'll need to be fully vaccinated with both doses of an approved COVID-19 vaccine in Australia to take part. On the back of Qantas's recent status extension announcement, the airline is also now extending the memberships of paid-up Qantas Club members for a further seven months. Anyone who had an active Qantas Club membership between the end of June and the 25th of August this year will automatically receive a complimentary seven-month extension, which will be applied in October, and it will be backdated back to the end of June. Active complimentary Qantas lounge invitations have also had their validity dates extended by seven months, and those extensions have already taken place. But these extensions do not apply to complimentary lounge memberships or to complimentary invitations given to Qantas Points Club members. The Queensland government last week suspended all arrivals from domestic COVID-19 hotspots, New South Wales, ACT and Victoria, with no notice and for at least two weeks. The reason given was that their quarantined hotels are full. As we know from last fortnight's episode, returning Queensland residents, those relocating to the state permanently and others with an exemption for essential travel, are normally allowed to enter Queensland from a hotspot, but need to do two weeks of hotel quarantine at their own expense on arrival after they fly in. But Queensland has now stopped letting in anyone from New South Wales ACT or Victoria except in extreme circumstances, or apparently if you're related to a football player, until at least the 8th of September. 
Meanwhile, Western Australia has reclassified New South Wales as an extreme risk zone, meaning only government officials are able to enter from New South Wales into Western Australia, and very strict uh, entry requirements apply, including proof of having at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccination and a pre-flight negative test. Under the new rules, it would be easier to enter Western Australia from another country than from New South Wales, can you believe it? Western Australia has also just reclassified New Zealand as an international destination for the purpose of quarantine, but has downgraded Queensland from medium risk to low risk and removed quarantine requirements this week for travellers from South Australia. It's also worth noting that the Northern Territory now requires anyone entering the Territory directly from hotel quarantine in another state to do another three days of supervised quarantine at Howard Springs, and they can only leave after a negative day three test. South Australia has also placed additional requirements on people arriving into the state after completing hotel quarantine or transiting through Sydney, who may now need to do a further 14 days of home quarantine when they get to South Australia. The Trans-Tasman bubble remains suspended for the time being as well. Travel from New Zealand to Australia may be restored once New Zealand's current lockdown finishes, but New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern gave a strong indication last week that travel from Australia to New Zealand is unlikely to recommence during the next few months. Bankwest is capping the number of Qantas points that can be earned on its Bankwest Qantas transaction account balances from the 1st of November. Currently, Bankwest Qantas transaction account holders can earn 0.3 Qantas points for every $100 held in their account each day, and that works out to be 9 Qantas points per $100 each month. This is in addition to earning Qantas points when making purchases using the account's debit card. But from the 1st of November, Bankwest will no longer be awarding Qantas points on account balances above $50,000. Jetstar has promised to reduce the amount of time Qantas frequent flyer members are waiting to receive their points and status credits after flying with the airline. But before COVID-19, most eligible Jetstar customers were receiving their Qantas points and status credits within a few days of their flight. But since the pandemic, the typical amount of time taken for Jetstar flights to be credited has blown out to around 18 days, and in rare cases it's even taking two months or longer. Jetstar and its parent company Qantas are now working together to reduce that wait time back to pre-COVID levels, and it's hoped that in the near future that'll be down to just a few days in some cases and no more than one to two weeks in most cases. And Etihad Airways is offering 1,500 free miles to all members of its Etihad Guest Frequent Flyer program as part of its 15th birthday celebration. This week-long promotion is running from the 31st of August until the 6th of September 2021, and during this promotion, Etihad is also giving back members 15% of any miles redeemed for economy or business award flights on Etihad Airways. To claim your free 1500 Etihad guest miles, there's no catch. All you'd need to do is enter your name, email address, and Etihad guest number on the Etihad website, and you'll find a link to the relevant page in the article on australianfrequentflyer.com.au, or just go to the Etihad guest website and have a look for it. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. Turn your bills into business class with the SNP app. 
Whether it's an ATO bill, rates, utilities, phone, school fees, body corporate or any of the other 60,000 plus bills with a BPAY biller code on it, you can pay it with SNP and earn full frequent flyer points for your credit card spend. You can use your Visa, MasterCard or American Express to pay bills with the SNP app and pay just a 1.5% processing fee including GST. There are no other hidden fees. The 1.5% processing fee even applies for American Express payments. Now that's just 0.05% more than the ATO's card payment surcharge for Amex. And with SNP, you'll earn points on your Amex card at the full everyday spend rate and not the reduced rate that you'd normally get at the tax office. SNP also has some convenient features. You can connect your emails to the SNP app and have your billers automatically added to the app when they arrive in your inbox. You'll then get a handy push notification when your bill's ready for payment. You can pay the bill on the spot, schedule it for later, set up an instalment plan or create a recurring payment. And you can even use Apple Pay or Google Pay. So it's no surprise why SNP has processed more than $150 million worth of bill payments and counting. It really is the easiest and most rewarding way to pay your bills. With tax time in front of us now, there's never been a better time to try SNP. Simply download the free SNP app on your mobile device and enter the code AFF10 on sign up for $10 off your first bill payment. That's SNP with two I's, S-N-I-I-P. While there have been quite a lot of new developments over the past fortnight in terms of international travel, some bad, but also some good. In summary, getting back to Australia over the next couple of months unfortunately looks like it could be harder than ever. But there's finally light at the end of the tunnel, with talk now of opening up Australia's international borders, at least for some states, by the end of this year. There's been a lot to take in, so joining me now to dissect it all is travel agent and regular guest on this podcast, Alan Lamb from NetWave Travel. Welcome, Alan. Thanks, Matt. So back in July, listeners might remember the Australian government halved the number of passengers allowed to arrive each week into each of the different states. And so the arrival caps before July were, um, there were 3,000 spots a week into Sydney. Melbourne and Brisbane were each taking in 1,000 people and Perth and Adelaide were taking in 530 passengers each week. But from July, when the government halved those caps, that reduced um, and so the number of passengers allowed to come in on commercial flights into Sydney was only 1,500 a week. Melbourne and Brisbane dropped down to 500 passengers a week and Perth and Adelaide down to only 265 each per week. The impact of that was already quite devastating, but that was only supposed to be until the end of August. Well, sadly, last week, the Australian government extended those halved arrival caps until now the end of October. And then, in fact, they didn't even have the courtesy of announcing this publicly. What they did is they just informed the airlines and the airlines have now had to start bumping 27,000 people in total off flights that they were booked on over the next two months. Alan, what has this meant um, overall in terms of flights to Australia? Uh, unfortunately, we've seen a lot of uh, flights uh, now get cancelled for uh, September and uh, in some cases the airlines have started cancelling for October as well, given that the reduction in cap is uh, now in place until the end of October. Uh, for Perth, that means that um, a lot of flights are being uh, completely cancelled and, uh, well, sorry, can- uh, cancelled in the sense that they're operating as cargo only. So that means that there's uh, no passengers being carried and uh, Perth, because the cap is now uh, so low at 265, we're seeing uh, some of these flights only carry about 10 passengers in, and often the majority of these will be in business class. Uh, um, 
fortunately with Adelaide, there's not as many airlines flying in. So because it's mainly Qatar Airways and Singapore Airlines flying in, they, they tend to be taking a higher number. So about 30, even 40 passengers per week into Adelaide. Wait, so 30 or 40 passengers per flight counts as a high number now? Yes. Unfortunately, Melbourne's, uh, Melbourne's even worse. Uh, it's, it's as bad as Adelaide, really, with uh, most flights only carrying about 10 passengers, maybe 15 passengers in, uh, in per flight. And that's mainly because a lot of airlines are still operating daily service into Melbourne, unlike the other cities. Uh, so unfortunately, each flight is carrying a lower number per flight. Uh, and on each flight, uh, I'm t- I tend to see that there's maybe about 80% business class passengers and about 20% economy passengers. Uh, I have seen some flights where is literally only just one passenger in economy uh, and everyone else is in business class. Uh, moving to Brisbane, Brisbane uh, is pretty similar to Adelaide, to be honest, uh, although maybe the numbers are, I think the numbers are a little bit lower, more about 2030 on average on most flights into Brisbane. But again, uh, that's because a lot of airlines aren't operating daily service into Brisbane at the moment. Uh, moving into Sydney, Sydney with, uh, with 1,500 passengers per week. We were seeing about, on average, maybe about 25, 30 passengers per, uh, per flight coming in. Uh, again, with most airlines still maintaining daily service if they were flying daily before. Yeah, so that was the case up until last week. But earlier this week, the New South Wales government announced that it's again halving its already halved cap from the 8th of September, which is going to result in another 750 fewer people each week being allowed to come into New South Wales. And so the commercial flight cap for all of the commercial flights internationally coming into Australia is now just 2,300 passengers per week, which is barely anything. And I mean, there's tens of thousands of Australians trying to come home right now. So what has been the um, impact of these further cap reductions? We're still starting to um, see the impact of that rolling through. Some airlines, for example, Singapore Airlines has gone through and cancelled a very large number of services uh, into Sydney for the rest of September, uh, with October still to be decided. I, uh, I have a feeling they still haven't actually received their numbers for October yet for New South Wales, uh, but uh, the impact in New South Wales, particularly on Singapore Airlines, is that the SQ241 and the 231 services have been mostly cancelled. I think there's only about two or three days left in the whole month of September where those flights will still operate with passengers. Um, the flight that uh, the flight is that sorry the flight that is remaining is uh, SQ211, which is the flight that mostly connects with the uh, European services in the morning. Uh, this uh, this service is uh, carrying again about 20 passengers uh, or even as low as 15 passengers in per day. Uh, other airlines, like Japan Airlines, have already gone to and cancelled their flights for uh, September and October. And again, there's quite a number of cancellations all throughout uh, those both, sorry, both of those two months. Uh, other airlines like ANA are still uh, still working out what their changes will be. Uh, for example, they've only just cancelled one service for next week, but I believe there will be more that will be cancelled, and uh, those have still not been finalised. Uh, and uh, other airlines are still still working out what they're currently looking at doing for Sydney. And so for other airlines that haven't already cancelled half of their flights into Sydney, are they just offloading half of the passengers that were booked on each flight? Uh, with New South Wales, what they're actually doing is an, uh, a lot of flights are actually being given a zero allocation. And when they get given a zero allocation, essentially that's the government forcing the airline to cancel that flight with a zero allocation. Uh, and unfortunately, that means that uh, every passenger on those flights is being offloaded. Now, in, uh, in the vast majority of cases of what I've been seeing, it doesn't really matter, again, whether you're in first class, business class, premium economy or economy, if the whole flight's cancelled, then um, you, you just get offloaded. And uh, the majority of airlines are not rebooking their passengers automatically. 
And so uh, ultimately, you'd need to contact your travel agent if you book by an agent or contact the airline directly if you book directly with the airline um, to sort out when they uh, might be able to get you on another flight. Now, generally, if you're booked in first class or business class, you might have more chance of being able to actually get a seat because uh, with such low cap numbers, um, the airlines are really only interested in carrying business class passengers in order to be able to recoup the revenue that they're losing. Uh, unfortunately, it means that if you're in premium economy or economy, um, uh, most of the time the airlines are saying that you will need to either upgrade to business class or you'll need to wait until the next available economy seat, which uh, which is currently in uh, 2022. Wait, so the next available international flights are not till next year? That's pretty much the case, unfortunately, yes. So what options do Australians have if they need to come home in the next month or two? In some cases, occasionally we, I, I would see in a business class seat come up or uh, some airlines may be hold, holding back some business class space uh, as well for a variety of operational reasons. And uh, generally, if it's a commercial flight, then uh, pretty much all you'll be able to get is either first class or business class. Uh, otherwise, there's always the DFAT flights as well that operate from various ports around the world. Well, with so few uh, seats being made available on commercial flights into Australia, it's no wonder that the DFAT repatriation flights are in such high demand. I mean, for most people, it'll be the only realistic option other than to maybe rent a boat or something to get back to Australia um, in the next few months. Unfortunately, those DFAT flights have been selling out really, really quickly. Like um, people have reported that they've logged in two or three minutes after the email was sent out and the seats are already completely sold out. So do you have any tips for someone who might be looking for one of those DFAT flights? Uh, so I'm often seeing that people are taking the uh, DFAT uh, flight booking process all the way up to the payment page. And what that's actually doing in the background is that uh, the system is actually holding the seat for uh, six or even 12 hours uh, whilst you make payments. And often people are uh, either abandoning the session uh, and uh, navigating to another page or uh, the session times out, or there could be a variety of different uh, you know, reasons. Uh, that that's happened and then those seats that are sitting there on hold will not get released for another six or 12 hours so often i'll then see later in the day that people from the facebook group are saying oh yeah there's there's now seats available on xyz date and that's because of these seats that were being um i guess unnecessarily held now now being released after six or 12 hours so it does really pay to go back and check uh in the hours after the, those uh, default emails go out because often this happens and then uh you'll often be able to find a seat six or 12 hours later Oh, that's a really good tip. It's good to know if um, people are still looking for seats on those DFAT flights. But once you do book a seat on a DFAT repatriation flight, is that seat actually guaranteed to get you back to Australia? Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of misconception about these DFAT flights that people think that it's actually a guaranteed way to get to Australia. Well, the answer is it's actually not. And uh, as we've seen demonstrated even just this week alone with uh, the London flight that's going to Hobart, um, DFATs obviously realised that they don't have as much quarantine capacity as they were hoping for in uh, Hobart. And unfortunately, they've had to uh, offload some passengers from the DFAT flight that's operating this weekend. So, um, no, definitely not. There's, you know, it's not, whilst it's a lot better than commercial flights uh, in that you've got a much better chance of flying, uh, it's definitely not completely 100% guaranteed. And there's definitely other instances as well where DFAT does offload um, passengers in order to make space for more vulnerable passengers as well. Uh, if they need the space, they will often offload passengers to accommodate that as well. But usually that's often you know, only a few people here and there uh, rather than uh, large numbers of people that we're seeing on commercial flights being offloaded. Oh, wow. I have to say that's really quite depressing. I mean, for people who haven't been able to book a DFAT flight or perhaps have been offloaded off one of these flights, or perhaps they suddenly need to come back now urgently because of a critically ill family member or something, 
um, there there really are very few options and um, I mean, I'm I'm aware of quite a few cases now where Australians stuck overseas are now homeless because they had, um, you know, given up the leases on their houses. They'd sold all of their stuff, sent it on ships back to Australia uh, because they had flights booked in September or October. And those flights have now been cancelled because of the arrival caps and they haven't been able to get DFAT flights. There are, and this is not just one or two people, there are thousands of people who are really doing it tough overseas right now. So that's really quite depressing, at least for the next few months. Uh, but uh, f- the good news, at least, is it does look like there is some light at the end of the tunnel now after all of this. Now, on Thursday, the federal government extended the biosecurity emergency period, which is basically the ban on international travel and cruises, for another three months, as it has done for the last 18 months throughout the pandemic. Um, you know, it keeps extending this three months at a time. And this is now due to expire on the 17th of December 2021. But the New South Wales uh, Premier Gladys Berejiklian has been talking this week about opening up international travel, at least to New South Wales, once 80% of adults are vaccinated against COVID-19. Now, this is on track to happen by around the end of November, although the timing will vary a little bit between states. And the opening up at 80% of vaccination rates, this is all part of the National Cabinet's four-phase plan. Uh, Once 80% of Australian adults are vaccinated uh, fully against COVID-19, that would bring us to phase C of the plan uh, based on the Doherty Institute modelling, which does say that the outbound travel ban will be removed and there'll be reduced quarantine requirements for or vaccinated travellers coming back into the country. Now, there has been a bit of resistance, though, um, from some state premiers in um, Queensland and Western Australia, though, for example, to opening up at that 80% rate. Now, at a press conference yesterday, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, was asked by a journalist um, whether he could envision opening up or allowing a state like New South Wales to open up um, once they get above 80% and not waiting for other states. And the Prime Minister said that, yes, he can. And he said that the national plan sets out that very clearly. So it will be interesting to see what happens there. Qantas uh, has announced that it is planning to resume international flights to seven countries from the 18th of December, which happens to be the day after the um, biosecurity emergency period is currently due to expire. And Qantas is currently planning when that happens to resume flights to New Zealand, Singapore, um, over to the UK, Japan, Fiji, the US and Canada from the 18th of December with other destinations to follow next year. Now, of course, that's not guaranteed if things could change and um, it's still very much up in the air. But what do you think, Alan? Um, might we be seeing people in New South Wales and perhaps also maybe Victoria and the ACT being able to travel overseas by around December this year? Uh, I think it's potentially possible, but uh, a lot of it's going to hinge on our vaccination rates, which uh, are pretty impressive at the moment with the number of people being vaccinated, particularly in New South Wales uh, and even Victoria. So uh, I think it's also... Uh, at the same time, you know, I think it's good to have a, a balanced view, view here as well that uh, even though we might see international travel uh, start to happen in December or even January next year, it's probably going to be quite limited and there will probably be a lot of uh, rules and regulations that we'll need to abide by. Uh, for example, you know, high-risk destinations will still continue to have to do hotel quarantine, whereas lower-risk destinations might be able to, sorry, origins, I should say, would, uh, should be able to do uh, home quarantine. But there's still a lot of unanswered questions in terms of how that home quarantine uh, situation will look like yeah, you know, whether you'll need to be in a um, that you will have to have a a whole home to you, like a whole house to yourself, uh, or whether you'll be allowed to do home isolation in uh, 
so self isolation at home in a, a apartment uh, or a unit, for example, and uh, note, noting the fact that you know there's been a number of uh, units or apartment buildings that have been locked down, uh, where the whole building's been locked down. I, I do wonder whether uh, self quarantine at home may be a viable option in this case, uh, depending on how strict they wish to be about uh, the whole uh, the whole home quarantine situation. Uh, so there may they may well still be a need for a, a hotel quarantine going into next year, and how that's going to look is uh, still a big question. And a lot of it may well hinge on what happens around the world as well with COVID cases and vaccination rates in other countries. Um, and certainly, I think you know, with countries that have high vaccination rates, like uh, the UK or Singapore, or even the rest of Europe, um, you know, we we probably will have less restrictions on travel to those sort of places. Yeah, as you say, it is still very much up in the air, but certainly the National Cabinet's plan does say that once 80% of Australian adults are vaccinated against COVID-19, then uh, they can look to remove, uh, to reduce some of those um, uh, travel restrictions, uh, such as having less harsh quarantine on arrival back into Australia for vaccinated travellers. And one of the options being considered is home quarantine. Now, South Australia is just finishing up a trial of home quarantine for returning travellers in its state. Do you know how that's going, Alan? Uh, I don't really, but uh, I do. I do believe they uh, uh, had a number of rules in place. Like, for example, they had uh, check-in calls via an app uh, that also had GPS tracking uh, as part of the app, and so uh, it was possible for them to for their authorities to remotely monitor whether these people were staying in their homes. Uh, I believe. I heard something about they had to apparently put up a sign outside their homes as well to indicate that they uh, were quarantining for 14 days. Uh, so these are these are possibly things that we may see replicated in other states as well. Well, as I mentioned just before, Qantas has conveniently just released a whole bunch of flights available for booking just in time for Christmas and New Year when it knows a lot of people are going to be wanting to be travelling. But do you think it's too early to be booking international flights now for travelling Christmas this year or, or even for travel in 2022? I, I personally think it's a bit ambitious at this point uh, to be booking uh, booking such flights, uh, especially without any sort of clarity on uh, what the situation will look like uh, coming back. Uh, it's all great to leave. Now, if you're planning on leaving permanently or for a long period of time, then that's probably fine. Uh, but if you're not planning on uh, sorry, if you are planning on returning, uh, you know, after a brief period, maybe two, three months, or even less than that, um, you know, given that with a lot of lack of clarity about uh, what quarantine situation look like and what the rules will be around that, um, I do think it's probably a bit early to be booking uh, because you, you know we may still have onerous restrictions around hotel quarantine, even though they're saying that home quarantine is, is going to be a, a thing soon. Uh, it's a question of when that's going to happen. If people do decide to book their travel now for Christmas or for next year, uh, what kind of things should they be looking out for in terms of, you know, things like buying refundable tickets or also travel insurance? Uh, travel insurance, is, unfortunately, is a really big unknown and purely because was, uh, a lot of the Australian insurers have clauses in their PDSs uh, that actually state that uh, there's basically no cover applicable when uh, a country that you've gone to or are going to is listed as a do not for travel, uh, sorry, level four do not travel country. And so at the moment, a lot of the travel insurance policies are really mostly, I won't say completely void, but you know, uh, a lot of the cover doesn't apply because of that, uh, those do not travel restrictions. But going forward, uh, what uh, we, we may see changes on uh, to that. Uh, obviously, we saw that with New Zealand, when New Ze- the New Zealand bubble opened up, uh, that where a lot of those travel insurance policies made changes to their uh, wording such that um, it covered for situations where uh, there's travel between New Zealand involved because they lowered that to a level three, level two even. 
Yes, and as you say, travel insurance is one of the key sort of unknowns at this point. And actually, quite a lot of people have asked me about this. You know, they they want to be able to travel overseas to see their family and things like that, but they wouldn't consider doing it without travel insurance. And as it stands, it's almost impossible to get travel insurance uh, for overseas travel because the Australian government classifies every other country other than New Zealand as level four do not travel. Um, But yeah, I do think that once the borders uh, come down or restrictions are uh, relaxed a little bit, the Australian government will remove the level four warning for countries that it considers uh, relatively safe for people to travel to. And at that point, I mean, travel insurance should become an option again. And uh, indeed, I imagine that many travel insurers after, you know, over a year of selling barely any policies will be quite keen to offer policies that people would want to buy. Yes, uh, certainly, certainly that's the case, although uh, uh, I think it's strongly recommended everyone should read the uh, PDS document uh, very thoroughly to make sure that uh, what the policy offers actually covers their, uh, their ex- exact circumstances. Uh, there's some policies that will cover one thing and um, but not another, and then you'll get another policy that will cover it and might, but not cover something else. It's, it's a bit of a minefield out there, so it really pays to pay attention to the wording. Yeah, the travel the travel insurance issue is uh, certainly a big one, and um, at the moment, that's one of the reasons that my approach is really just wait and see for now. I mean, I don't think there's any need to rush out and book international flights um, just yet. I do think that once there's uh, you know sort of a fixed opening date for the borders, there will be a flood of availability as airlines, not just Qantas, mind you, but all the international airlines who have been unable to travel to to fly to Australia or carry a meaningful um, number of passengers over the past. Last um, year and a half will be quite keen to restart, and so I do think that when they open the border, there will be plenty of availability of flights, um, and that the prices should be uh, quite reasonable actually, and there'll be hopefully plenty of award availability too. So that's why I'm not in a rush to book just yet, as much as I'll be very keen to travel as soon as the borders do open up. Is that your thinking as well? Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a wait and see approach at this point, and. The other thing is a lot of airlines have uh, restricted the inventory ne- for next year um, already to the fact that uh, they're making the assumption that hotel quarantine is going to be continue to be a thing inbound into Australia for some time. And until we, I guess, have a finite date of when that policy is going to change significantly with home quarantine and so forth, um, that's probably when the airlines might open up their inventory for coming in. So we may well see some reductions in um, in uh, airline pricing because of more inventory being opened up as well uh, later down the track. So if you book now, you may essentially be forced to pay a higher price because of the uh, assumptions being made by the airlines. Yeah, to be honest, I do think that flights on sale now for travel next year are really just placeholders at the moment. But once there is more certainty, I'm sure airlines will be quick to adjust their fares and their schedules. Yes, yes. And some airlines like Singapore Airlines has quite heavily restricted their uh, inventory into next year. But um Another airline like ANA, for example, hasn't. In fact, if anything, they've actually lined up their uh, their flights into Australia uh, with almost the end of the biosecurity ban. So, uh, you know, it could be well be a case where, you know, on some airlines that where they're taking the uh, a slightly more optimistic approach that you know that that we will see a lifting that uh, they have opened up cheaper seats, but then other airlines like Singapore Airlines haven't because they're making the assumption that this, the restrictions are going to continue for quite some time. Well, it's been a really interesting discussion. Thanks a lot for sharing your thoughts, Alan, with me on the podcast today. Thanks again, Matt. 
The announcement about Qantas's plan to resume international flights came as the airline last week revealed a $1.83 billion underlying loss and a $2.35 billion statutory loss for the 2020-2021 financial year. The half-year and annual airline results announcements are always quite interesting because they're usually accompanied by lots of other announcements about what the airline plans to do in the future, such as the international uh, travel announcement that I discussed with Alan just a moment ago. Well, like many of us, I am stuck in lockdown at the moment, and clearly I had nothing better to do last Thursday than to read through all of the Qantas Investor Day presentation slides and the annual reports in full. And there were some quite interesting uh, little stats and tidbits that I picked up, which I I thought I'd share with you now. There were some bright spots in, you know, amongst all the doom and gloom from the last year's financial results. Qantas did win an additional 34 major corporate accounts across the last financial year, and pretty much all of those are probably uh, coming across from Virgin. So that is a bit of a, a win for Qantas. And it's uh, domestic yields, so the um, average fares that Qantas is charging on domestic flights did increase. So it's clearly, you know, Qantas is cementing its place at the top of the market there as the the, you know, the choice airline for business travellers. It did also have a record profit for its freight division due to higher international uh, cargo yields, and Qantas loyalty did pretty well as well, as it always does. Qantas loyalty generated over $1 billion in gross cash in the last financial year and made a $272 million profit, which is pretty good considering... Um, Qantas said that a large volume of points had been earned and redeemed on the ground last year, which is not really surprising, Um, and also that record levels of points have been redeemed uh, with Qantas wine and at the Qantas store. I guess also not that surprising considering you can't really um, go that many places at the moment. Um, And Qantas also said that it plans to offer more ways to earn points and status credits on the ground over the coming period, which is, I guess, good news for people. Now, it wasn't such good news for Qantas's international business, which obviously um, made quite a significant uh, loss on, you know, in terms of passenger services. Um, it's interesting to note that Qantas says its capacity on flights to New Zealand reached about an average of 40% compared to pre-COVID in quarter four of last financial year. So that would be from uh, April, May and through to June. Uh, when they were actually operating um, a reasonable number of flights across the Tasman, well, 40% of capacity is what Qantas is um, saying. However, it's also worth noting that the average Qantas International uh, load factor, so the percentage of seats filled by paying customers, um, decreased from 86% in pre-COVID times, which was the old, you know, the, the average across the whole international business pre-COVID in 2019, down to just under 43% in quarter four last year. So really that um, number of passengers flying with Qantas across to New Zealand, which is Qantas's only, um, was Qantas's only international destination other than the repatriation flights, um, you know, in the last financial year, um, it was only really 40% of the seats being filled and 40% of flights running. So really it's only, you know, about 16% of the actual passenger numbers that they got um, pre-COVID across to New Zealand or thereabouts anyway. In terms of Qantas's domestic business, the load factor or the, no, the number of seats filled did drop as well. In 2019, Qantas on average had filled 84.2% of seats on its domestic flights. In 2021, that's been only 63.2% on average, which actually is still not that bad considering. Uh, and most importantly, Qantas 
claims that 95% of its domestic flights were cash positive, so they generated at least a profit on a, on a cash basis. And in terms of capacity, in 2021, Qantas's, um, the number of seats available, available seat kilometers available um, on the Qantas network were down 81%. So yeah, not that great, but you know, not surprising considering that the international borders were closed for the whole financial year, basically, except for um, a few months where New Zealand was open. And there were only about 30 days in the last year when all of the domestic borders were actually opened up. Um. Also, the in terms of RASC and CASC, so I'm not. You may not be familiar with these terms, but RASC is um, stands for revenue per available seat kilometer, and CASC is cost per available seat kilometer. Basically, the RASC is the revenue received on a per kilometer basis for every seat that's available on every flight. Um, and the cask is the cost of providing that seat um, on a per kilometer basis per kilometer flown. In 2021, the RASC or the average revenue per available seat kilometer was about was 9.72 cents, and the cask was 15.94 cents, um, which is uh, obviously a lot more, you know, cost than the revenue per available seat kilometer. Now, normally for an airline to be profitable, the RASC has to be higher than the cask, or you know, the revenue has to be higher than the cost. Um, so yeah, the cask being 15.94 cents, that's unusually high and that is a huge increase, but because it's on a, on a per available seat kilometer basis, basically this can be explained by the loss of scale. Um, you know, Qantas obviously has lots of fixed costs, but because only 19% of its, um, you know, of its planes were flying last year, um, the, yeah, amount of seats it was able to fill just didn't make up for, um, for the all of those fixed costs, and that's fundamentally why Qantas made a loss last year. But yeah, hopefully, as more planes get back in the air, the costs, um, you know, on a seat kilometer basis will come down again. Now, at least for Qantas and Jetstar in Australia, they were able to get some of their domestic planes in the air over in Singapore. With uh, you know, Qantas obviously owns um, Jetstar Asia. And unfortunately, Jetstar Asia was only able to uh, carry 67,000 passengers in the last financial year, compared to a pre-COVID number of 4.5 million passengers per year. Um, So that's basically a drop off of about 98.5%, which is really quite staggering. And um, the load factors on Jetstar Asia flights... Um, last year were just 16% compared to 83% pre-COVID. So really quite shocking. And it's no surprising, therefore, that Jetstar Asia has sent a few of their A320s over to Australia where Jetstar can get better use from them um, in the current climate. Jetstar Japan has also sent a few of their A320s over to Australia. And just one final statistic I found interesting, Jetstar um, in their Australian domestic operations managed to achieve uh, in the last financial year a 33% growth in ancillary revenue per passenger versus pre-COVID. Um, so in other words, the amount of extra revenue that Jetstar is making, which is not related directly to the ticket price. So when you know people buy um, bundle add-ons or purchase baggage or purchase a club Jetstar membership, that kind of thing. And I wonder if this might be um, might have something to do with the new flex credit offering, which um, you know customers can pay a little bit extra for to have the opportunity to refund the booking for a credit voucher if they're not able to travel. Um, maybe that's just my speculation, but yeah, I found it quite interesting that they were able to increase ancillary revenue by um, 
you know, basically a third um, this year, which is a pretty good result for Jetstar. Back in 2019, Jetstar Domestic had a 12% increase in ancillary revenue, and it was really proud of that. It was boasting about this in um, in the presentation to investors at that time, um, which um, it said was driven by the success of its plus three kilogram carry-on. So that was that was able to increase their ancillary revenue by 12%. So 33% is really quite good for Jetstar. And already in the 2019 financial year, 73% of Jetstar passengers added on an ancillary product when they booked. Well, Regional Express, or Rex, also released its yearly results last week. And, well, they're not great either. Uh, Rex made a statutory loss of $7.2 million and an underlying loss of $18.4 million. Uh, Rex, keep in mind, has had all of its 737 jets grounded since mid-July, and the next 737 Rex flights are not scheduled until at least the 11th of October now, although this date uh, keeps being pushed back, and it will probably be pushed back yet again. It would be really re- interesting to know how Virgin Australia is doing as well in the circumstances. Unfortunately, since Virgin is no longer a publicly listed company in Australia, it's now privately owned, it does not have to disclose its financial results. So we'll never really know whether Virgin's actually making money. Um, but given the experiences of Qantas and Rex, it's probably safe to say that Virgin's also struggling a bit over this past financial year, given the current climate, of course. It'll be interesting to see, though, how Virgin and Rex find their respective places in the middle of the market, which is where they're trying to be once the travel restrictions ease. Virgin just announced that it's ordering nine more Boeing 737s, so clearly it sees potential in the Australian market. So we'll see how that goes. If you haven't been flying as much as usual over the past 18 months, well... Firstly, you're definitely not alone, but secondly, if you're not careful, your frequent flyer points could be at risk of expiring. Qantas points and Qantas business rewards points expire after 18 months of account inactivity, and Virgin Australia Velocity points expire after two years of account inactivity. Uh, An account activity counts as earning or redeeming at least one point, although certain uh, types of activity like transferring points between accounts do not count as activity. And some airlines are not that great at warning you when your points are due to expire, so the onus really is on you to keep track of them. If you've got Qantas points that are due to expire soon, there are um, at least a few free and easy ways that you can keep some activity in your account. So remember, you just have to earn or redeem at least one point, and then the whole balance resets for another 18 months. Now, with Qantas, one method is to download and use the free Qantas Wellbeing app, which gives you points for meeting your step targets or simply doing stuff around the house, like you can get five Qantas points for checking your smoke alarm. You can also earn 100 Qantas points by signing up for free to Hoyt's Rewards and linking your Qantas Frequent Flyer account to your Hoyt's Rewards account. And if you're a Qantas Red Planet member, you can earn points for free by completing surveys. And of course, there's other ways. If you shop at Woolworths, you can opt into earning Qantas Rewards um, so that you'll receive 1,000 Qantas points each time you earn 2,000 Everyday Rewards points. And if you, you know, you're regularly getting those points coming in, then that will keep your points alive in the long term. And you can also, for example, scan your Qantas card at BP, even if you're just buying a coffee or, of course, filling up with petrol and earn a few points for that. 
Uh, with Virgin Velocity, the easiest way to earn a few points, I would say, is to just scan your card at a 7-Eleven store. Um, even if you're just buying a $1 coffee, you'll get two points for that. Um, or, of course, you can transfer points over from Flybys if you have a Flybys account. Um, and if you want to earn Velocity points for free, there is a way to do that. It is by completing e-reward surveys, although I would point out that that can be quite time-consuming and I don't consider it personally to be worth the time spent, but um, and that's a, that's a free option for you. Now, those are just a few ideas. Of course, there are plenty of other things you could do as well to keep your points alive. Now, also be mindful of any points that you might have in overseas frequent flyer programs. Don't forget about those. Just because um, we can't go overseas at the moment um, doesn't mean your points are immune from expiring, unfortunately. Now, depending on the overseas program, there there are plenty of uh, things you could do to keep activity in your account, depending on the airline. Uh, for example, you might be able to earn points from hotel stays or even just transferring points over from a hotel loyalty program or uh, some of your credit card points you might be able to transfer them into your uh, frequent flyer account and some airlines will simply sell you points outright you might be able to buy a thousand points and uh, and keep the balance ticking over and if you're stuck from ideas uh, and you really um, are having trouble with earning points in Australia another option could be to simply ask um, the airline I know that some Australian frequent flyers have had success by asking American Airlines and Alaska Airlines, to give two examples, to add one mile to their account or, or simply just reset the expiry um, because they're stuck in Australia. And if, if you ask nicely, uh, they might be able to, you know, just as a token gesture, just keep, you know, um, reset the expiry of your points or give you a mile to do that or, or, or something like that. If you have lots of overseas accounts, Award Wallet is a really great tool for keeping track of everything. Award Wallet is a website, it's a free service, and they do have also a paid op um, upgrade option. But um, even with the free service, they'll monitor all of your accounts. And it doesn't just work for frequent flyer accounts. It works for your credit card accounts, hotel loyalty programs, flybys, everyday rewards, Maya One, David Jones, etc. Um, so it's it really useful if you've got lots of different accounts. And what they'll do is they'll keep an eye on things in the background and warn you. They'll send you an alert or an email um, if you have points due to expire soon so that you have time to take action and stop that from happening. Now, for lots more tips on keeping your points alive during COVID-19, you might be interested in my upcoming webinar over at Frequent Flyer Solutions. This next webinar is about how to preserve your points during the pandemic, and I'll be hosting that at 8pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday, the 15th of September. Now, in addition to keeping your Qantas Velocity and Qantas Business Rewards points alive, the webinar will look at preventing points expiration with overseas frequent flyer programs, including specific ways to uh, keep activity in your accounts and keep them alive, ways to redeem Qantas and Velocity points when you can't travel, how to redeem points with overseas airlines while you're stuck in Australia, airline status extensions as well, uh, free tools like Award Wallet that can assist with managing your loyalty program accounts, and what to do if, God forbid, your points have already expired. And of course, you'll also have the opportunity to directly ask me questions if you attend the webinar live on the Wednesday evening on the 15th of September. If you're interested in attending, make sure you register in advance at frequentflyer.com.au and follow the links over to the webinar page, and I hope to see you there. And that brings me to the end of this episode of AFF On Air. Thanks again to my guest, Alan Lamb, and thank you so much for listening. 
For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF on Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to review AFF on Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels. Listener.